Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street. Exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Aschuti. Tulane University Freeman School of Business professor and director of the Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There's a saying in French that roughly translated says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Generally, in business, that's pretty true. Trends come and go, markets go up and down, and cycles tend to keep coming around. Maybe in the long arc of history, this fatalistic philosophy will hold true for the New Orleans economy. But right now, the coronavirus pandemic has ushered us in some very real changes that make it difficult to believe things will go back to being the same anytime soon, especially in the field of tourism. According to the city of New Orleans, before everything shut down in March 2020, we were hosting 19 million tourists a year here. This brought about a massive hotel building boom, believe it or not, from 2016 to 2019, 13 hotels opened in New Orleans, another 11 were slated to open by 2023. One of the hotels that opened between 2016 and 2019 isn't strictly a hotel in the traditional sense. It's more of a hostel, but it's a hostel with a bunch of hotel-like amenities. It's called the Quisby, and it's on St. Charles Avenue in a building that opened in 1924 as the Audubon Hotel. David Gindon came across the building after it had been shuttered and vacant for almost 14 years. David totally renovated the building and opened for business in 2017 as the Quisby, a high-end hip hostel. Today, more things are changing than are staying the same at the Quisby, but it's still open for travelers. David Gindon, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks, Peter. Good to be here. When the city shut down in March, every business in town had to close, except to those businesses that were deemed as essential. Among them were hospitals, grocery stores, and food outlets, which included coffee shops. For that reason, the PJ's Coffee Shop on Magazine Street near Whole Foods has stayed open all the way through. And it's one of the original PJ coffee shops still open. The franchisee of Magazine Street PJs is Aubrey Miller. Aubrey also has other business interests, including a food distributorship called Choctaw Provisions and a unique coffee shop, which is also a hands-on, real-life business class at the Academy of the Sacred Heart, where Aubrey teaches a course called Math and Financial Literacy. Aubrey Miller, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. David, one of the main reasons people like to stay at a hostel instead of a hotel or an Airbnb isn't just that it's cheaper. It's a different experience. People who stay in hostels invariably have tales of adventures they've had with the people they met. And it's not at all unusual for people who stay in hostels to make connections that turn into lifelong friendships. 
all of that happens because of the communal nature of the hostel life, shared rooms, common spaces to eat and hang out. And in your case, it includes organized activities like pub crawls, tarot card readings, and open mic nights at the Quisby's own cocktail bar. How much of this unique hostel life have you been able to retain since the advent of coronavirus and, and how are you adapting? Uh, that, that's correct. And the issue that we've run into um, is that it, it's really hard to do social things when you're also trying to maintain uh, safety and social distancing. So uh, it has really taken a backseat. And that's been uh, that, that's been one of the hardest parts for me personally, because it was something I'd really enjoyed. Uh, but uh, we're actually now that the weather's nice again, we're, we're starting to kind of reimagine the, the way that we uh, show our guests the city. And we realize that, uh, you know, we have Coliseum Square a few blocks away. We have uh, basically New Orleans is our front yard. So we can't use our bar right now. And that was really our focal point previously. Uh, but, you know, this is just forcing us to kind of reimagine that experience. So we're, we're, uh, we're doing ghost tours, socially distanced ghost tours for our guests now. Um, we're planning some happy hours in the park that are socially distanced. So I think we're going to find ways to, to kind of still have a good time um, in a safe way. David, you're a upscale hostel, which is sort of an oxymoron, like, you know, tight slacks or civil war. What 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 makes it upscale? Uh, yeah, so it's really uh, it's about we, we the consistency of experience um, and then just the, the finishes. You know, we we really took pains to uh, make it a well-designed product. We, we thought through like every square inch, kind of where the hooks are located. Uh, the beds are all locally made, you know, a lot of hostels, uh, the bed is kind of atrocious. It's an, it's a creaky old Ikea bed. Um, ours are locally made by a gentleman named Heinz Goutsey, um, over on Chippewa street. They're, they're beautiful. They're all hardwood, uh, custom, custom design, custom built. Um, the mattresses are all memory foam mattresses. You know, usually we have the bar and we actually do some pretty nice cocktails uh, at a very affordable price, you know, six or seven bucks gets you a pretty nice, like Sazerac or, um, you know, hurricane or something. So you're right. That's not like any hostel I ever stayed at. Yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we, we just, um, yeah, we've kind of thought through the experience and, and thought about ways to just make it a little nicer because uh, our target demographics really, uh, kind of 25 to 35. So it's, you know, you've done the, the backpacking, you've done the, um, kind of Ikea beds and, and you, you still like the concept, but you're looking for something a little nicer. Aubrey, besides the PJ's coffee shop on Magazine Street that I mentioned earlier, you have another PJ's further down Magazine Street in the Lower Garden District. I believe you managed to keep both of these businesses open through the lockdown and the pandemic, and you have a third PJ's that's on the campus of Sacred Heart. It's a fully functional coffee shop that's run by students who are part of a high school course you founded and teach called Math and Financial Literacy. Let's take these three PJ's outlets one at a time and run through how the pandemic has affected each one of them. I, I would think they all have very different challenges. You want to start with the uh, Uptown store on Magazine Street? Sure, they do. They're very different. Uptown, what we noticed at first, it was very scary. We didn't know what to expect. However, we noticed that coffee was one of the things that people could still do and remain safe social distance wise. So we did remain open. At first, it was just at the door takeout. However, people are craving normalcy and anything in their routine that they used to do. So we're actually seeing sales currently at that store. We're having record sales months. So we're doing really well there. People are looking for something to do. They want to have normalcy. They want to see their neighbors, see their friends um, in a safe, a safe environment to do so. However, the other PJs down magazine in the Garden District relied heavily on tourism and tourists. We had a lot of tour groups come by each day. 
that has taken a hit. However, because of more of the residential side of those customers looking for something to do in the neighborhood and everybody working from home, we've increased that side of our business. So we're almost about where we were pre-COVID. And then at Sacred Heart, it's very interesting. We closed immediately when all this happened, school let out. And we actually are about to reopen the on-campus coffee shop tomorrow. So it's kind of a good timing to have this conversation today. We had to revamp it. We're doing a grab-and-go station where the girls will sanitize and put on gloves and grab their coffee so there's no contact. And then it'll invoice them an invoice and they'll pay online. What a great way to teach uh, financial literacy at that level. I'm thinking of all the... uh possible things you have to go through. One is you had to get the approval of the school to get back open. Then you had, I guess, the Louisiana school board. There's a few hoops you had to jump through. There's several. It's probably the most time-consuming job that I have on my plate of all my businesses, but it's the one that I do enjoy the most. I also wanted to ask you about the new business that you're in, which is, um, I guess you could say it's somewhat in the same field, but but Choctaw Provisions was an old food wholesaling company that you took over. Um, what what is the first thing you did when you when you took that over? It was an older operation. I mean, when you walked uh, the first week or so, were the things you knew right away had to be changed? Well, there was not even a computer in the business. They did everything by hand, so that was a big challenge. We set up an inventory system and got things organized and um, computerized, you could say. Um, so that was the biggest challenge. Now that we've gotten that under under control, what we found with COVID was that things just shifted. Instead of serving more restaurants, things moved more to the grocery store or cafes or businesses that started to see an uptick in business. So our business stayed the same. We learned people have to eat. It's just a matter of what outlets became more popular. And, you know, every time I've seen a company, uh, you know, raise the uh, amount of technology they were using, I've seen a lot of employees, uh, you know, don't take it too well and maybe even retire. Did you run into that? Because that's a we, we have. Um, we actually have. We've brought on a business coach and we've been working through it. And we've been just trying to show the team the impact that this will have if they all get on board and how much it'll make their life easier. But it's been a huge challenge and one that we did not expect. Every hostel I've been in has a different kind of vibe to it. I guess hotels do the, do the same thing. And I'm wondering how you establish the vibe for your place. In other words, you know, I've been to some that are very uh, very quiet, kind of, you know, very quiet. And then others that turn into kind of a party hostel. How did you decide where you wanted to be and how to, I don't know, select the guests or whatever you need to keep that? Um, well, it's, it's really about selecting the employees. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, something we've done very well um, is one, we, we managed to hire good people. I think, you know, something that I really focus on is just hiring for passion. And it doesn't have to be necessarily passion for hotels or hostels or hospitality, just you know, passionate about anything. Uh, so, you know, we had a few employees that are really passionate about anime. So that kind of got incorporated into our vibe. You know, we play anime in our lobby a lot. Uh, and then it's it's just letting them run free once you have those good people, uh, you know, rather than trying to dictate, you know, here's what our vibe is going to be. Here's, you know, here's your script for interacting with guests. We kind of just trust them to, um, you know, to be themselves. And, and uh, it, you know, that's, that's the way to... That's, to me, that's the most interesting. You know, if I if I walk into a hostel and they're playing, uh, I don't care what they're playing. You know, if the front desk agent's bopping along to it and having a good time, I can tell that you know they pick the music and they're enjoying themselves. Versus, uh, you know, if they're just playing top forties and the guy looks miserable. <laughs> and Aubrey, you uh, you're a good business person. Uh, I know you've got an MBA from from UNO and such. When you went into this, particularly first with the PJ side, there were a lot of franchises you could have. Uh, 
thought about, but how did you decide on on the PJ's franchise? They're just characteristics. Well, coffee is um, a huge commodity and it's something that people return and use almost daily. So it was very important that we get a product that people use on a regular basis. Um, we also insisted on getting a franchise so that we could grow with it, learn the system, and then easily grow from there. So that's something that my husband and I really um, were pretty passionate about, particularly, but mainly finding something, a product that people would use on a regular basis. And you mentioned it being scalable. Uh, that was pretty important to you. And what do you have future plans to have a few more? We do have future plans. We are actually in the process of opening another store in New Orleans right now. And what we found with scaling is that it's much easier on our management team. We can find someone to maybe regionally manage several stores rather than having these um, almost random locations all over the United States and a manager here and a manager there. So we're more looking strategically in what areas we think can be better served, finding, I guess, someone that we trust on the management side to kind of run several stores. And we understand the operations fully within it and set up the controls underneath. And when I look at your portfolio of companies, I think, um, you know, I understand the Lower Garden District was hit with the, the tourism in the beginning, but the other one was on the food wholesaling. Uh, what about restaurants? That was a I imagine a pretty significant part of that it business. It was, and what we found is that it just shifted. So we serve restaurants and we serve grocery stores and smaller little cafes and markets in neighborhoods. Um, we're a small company. We serve small customers. However, it just shifted. So maybe the restaurants were closing, but these grocery store outlets, their business was booming. So it, it almost one-for-one one transferred. Aubrey, I have a question, if you don't mind me interrupting. Uh, what was the biggest challenge when you went from uh, one store to two stores? Employees, always probably the employees. Um, finding the, a good manager and having people that you trust on your management team that you know will make the decisions without you there is really important. Um, I almost feel that finding someone is capable that you trust is most important before even thinking of opening another location. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Aubrey Miller, owner of two PJ Coffee franchises on Magazine Street, and David Gindon from the Quisby, an upscale hostel on St. Charles Avenue. And David, I was going to ask you, you've, um, for people that haven't stayed at a hostel, what is the, um, we talked about the different attractions, but price is one of them. Where are you, where are you on the uh, hotel scale for price? Yeah, so typically um, we try to, uh, you know, we try to be in the 30s, uh, $30 a night range for a bed. Uh, and then, you know, for, for a room, we'll sell them for $100 uh, around, you know, try to be around 100 bucks a night. Uh, we typically benchmark ourselves against kind of two and three star hotels uh, nearby uh, and, and try to be competitive on the private rooms. I, I think that is one misconception about the business is, uh, you know, even pre-COVID, uh, we were like 50% private rooms, um, meaning people, you know, two or three friends traveling together or, or a family with two children, um, you know, the bunk beds really lend themselves well to that kind of uh, accommodations where rather than having, you know, to book two hotel rooms um, or, or, you know, book, uh, you can, everybody can have their own bed is what I'm trying to say. And, and now that's a much bigger part of our business, obviously. So, you know, we're now it's like 90% plus private rooms. And until I started to do some research on this, I didn't realize there's a, I thought of hostels as always being kind of just one-offs or of each other, but there's there's some like what is it? Uh, hostels International. That's a uh, like the big boy in hostels. Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they've been around for a long time. Um, yeah, they 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 kind of define the industry, and obviously they have a location uh, here now in New Orleans, which is beautiful. They did a great job with it. And when that came in, we there's always two ways to look at it. We 
scared of the competition or did you think it would actually uh, increase the size of the hostile pie for lack of a term another term um you know i guess for me i i had already um i i knew there was going to be competition um you know i just i saw the way the industry was growing globally and, and nationally so i never deluded myself into thinking we'd have the whole market to ourselves uh you know we already had there were already were a handful of hostels and i i knew there was going to be more um and i kind of looked I, I just look forward to, you know, the perception changing. And, and every time a, a, a quality new hostel opens, it, it kind of goes towards changing the perception of hostels as just like a cheap alternative. Um, so, so to me, in a lot of ways, I welcome it. And uh, when the people that are coming in now, uh, where are they coming from? Uh, are they flying in or are you getting more of a uh, driving clientele? Uh, so right now it's all driving, obviously. Um, but typically it was um, a lot more fly-in and uh, it was about 40 percent uh, international and uh, 60 percent us and, and that was a surprise to me I, I really thought we would be probably like 60 percent international uh, so it kind of flipped on me and so there were a lot more americans coming uh, a lot of them from kind of new york california chicago uh, but also you know florida texas and around the gulf south and it's mentioned it's interesting you mentioned domestic because um like for instance europeans are much more used to the hostile uh, concept right yeah it's and it's uh even you can go down even more granular it's uh, a lot of germans a lot of brits uh and then you know also a lot of australians wow and aubrey uh there's some new rulings that are allowing uh coffee shops to sell cocktails uh under covid uh, what do you think of that and is it something you've embraced it's it's actually not something we're going to get into. We've actually tried it pre-COVID. And for some reason, I think people just don't associate their morning coffee stop with <laughs> drinks. That's a good thing. We've tried it and um, at one of my locations. And it's it's just not the same atmosphere. And we also didn't really want the coffee feeling and smelling like a bar every morning after the previous evening. So it's not something that we plan to really pursue or anything Um I think they're two separate entities. God, I can just picture Irish coffee. That seems to be the, the thing that would jump <laughs> out there. Maybe on St. Patrick's Day. We've thought about doing a special event permit just for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and David, uh, you know, I guess nobody really knows, but you've got your uh, finger on the pulse there. Where does where does this turn around? Where is the light at the end of the tunnel for, for tourism? Um, I, I just don't have a good answer. <laughs> I hope I hope it's uh, you know I hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, but I, yeah, I think safety is the most important thing. So um, really getting getting that vaccine in order, and then uh, you know we do rely a lot on international tourism. So that's um, you know it's going to take a little bit longer to come back, understandably. And David, you had a situation where you by the let's see from the time you started thinking about the hotel and getting going, it was about four years till it opened. Uh, when I see businesses like that, I wonder how they keep they keep funding it when there's no revenue coming in. Was that a real challenge? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was more of just a lifestyle challenge, you know, um, there, there were definitely some, uh, some times when I had to get creative with, uh, you know, I, I got good at cooking kind of beans and rice, uh, that way. <laughs> Very indigenous. Uh, though. That's great. They, uh... yeah, I was, I was listening to, uh, to, to Sawyer, uh, on one of the recent interviews and, and him talking about how, you know, in tough times people eat beans and I'm like, yep. <laughs> You're a good ad for Camellia Beans, then. That's perfect. They and uh, Aubrey, when I first saw that that went into that Sacred Heart uh, store, I began thinking because I teach at Tulane that you know this is such a great idea. And have you ever considered bringing it to other schools? 
I have, um, I have a connection with Sacred Heart. My two daughters are there and I really enjoy being a part of the community there. Um, we actually did launch it at another Sacred Heart school in Omaha. However, teaching it with a faculty that was already on staff and they contracted out with a cafe to supply their goods. So they're following my syllabus. Um, however, I think I'm done with just teaching my one class. It's been a while. <laughs> that commute to Omaha is really, really difficult too. They, it's uh, when uh, when you decided to go with this concept. Uh, first of all, I think the one of the big advantages is today. I don't know if it's because the jobs are difficult to get or not, but teenagers don't work the way we did. Uh, I mean, I always had. So you're you're not only showing them how a coffee shop works, you're showing them what works about. There are a lot of surprises that they uncover in this class, and it's really fun to watch. They do a personal budget. They do a business plan for their own dream coffee shop, and they do several different exercises throughout the year to understand what the real world really is like. So it's a lot of fun to see their surprise and shock when they see how much things cost and how much work goes into the final cup of coffee. Um, So it's interesting, and they learn so much that they don't learn in a normal classroom setting. It's really enjoyable. I like to see their uh, their research pan out and see what they come up with. But at the end of the year, they do have a competition, um, and Whitney Bank does host um, judges it Shark Tank style, and there's a winner every year. I've got to ask about the Quizby. You've got a you've got a model there now. When things get back together again, you've figured a lot of things out. Is there room for more hostels in town? Uh, you know, we don't have any immediate plans uh, of of growing the Quizby. Um, I you know it's. There's a lot of things that I just don't think are, are uh, vastly scalable about it. It's, you know, it, it really is a labor of love. Um, but since uh, actually since January, I've, I've started working with a couple of architects, uh, Jessica Walker and David Dempsey. Uh, and our, our group workshop WD40 is looking at um, other opportunities. <laughs> so, it's called WD40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, spelled spelled like the Roman numeral, so it's W D X L. You know, it's just thinking about what what you go when you went through this when it all started in March, David. Is there somebody to bounce things off of? Like, is there an association of hospitals? Yeah, it's actually a really supportive community. Um, that's been one of the one of the joys of this this whole thing. Um, there is there are conferences uh, every year. There's one uh, in Amsterdam and called Stay Wise, uh, and that's the uh, Student Youth Travel Association. And you kind of just go there and, and hang out and, and there's, you know, they're a little further along in Europe. So, you, so they've, I think one of the, the first time I went to one of those conferences was like a few years in and it was nice because, you know, it was nice to just bounce questions off them and realize that the, the issues that I was kind of running into operationally or trying to plan the operation were the same issues that everyone else was dealing with. So it kind of made, made me feel like, all right, I'm not crazy. Like these, these are the questions that I should be asking. Most of us are facing challenges at work right now. As an employee, you can feel powerless, like you're the victim of forces you don't have control over. That kind of control is the reason a lot of people go into business for themselves, to gain a sense of self-determination. But today, business owners, big and small, from multinational airlines to local bars, are finding that they are far from the masters of their own destiny. They're being battered by regulations, unpredictable market forces, and an uncertain economy. These difficulties are even more pronounced for folks in the tourism and hospitality industries. David and Aubrey, I appreciate you sharing your experiences with us today. I hope that what seems to be something of an upswing continues, that business becomes more stable and predictable, and that we can meet over a real lunch table in the near and hopefully prosperous future. Until then, thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch.
Thanks, Peter. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Aubrey Miller, owner of PJ's Coffee on Magazine Street Uptown, Magazine Street in the Garden District, Choctaw Provisions, and financial literacy instructor at the Academy of the Sacred Heart, and David Gindon, founder of the Quisby on St. Charles Avenue. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here at WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Aubrey's and David's businesses by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. At some point, very soon, we're going to go back to hosting Out to Lunch around the real world lunch table. For right now, Commander's Palace is open for dinner seven nights a week and jazz brunch on the weekends. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts, and by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.